our mission hits home for me. Um, I've, my family's got cardiovascular issues in, in our background, and, and you know, I'm always going to be somebody who is going to um, push for a healthier life. So to work for an organization where that is the mission um, really aligns with, with me, and it, it, it does help through some of the tougher days. a PhD and beyond. On today's episode, we'll continue our series on, I have a PhD, what do I do with it? Uh, we're joined today by Dr. Heather Alger and Dr. Helen Cuff. Dr. Alger is the Director of Product Development at the American Heart Association, and Dr. Cuff is Manager at Deloitte Consulting Company. And we're also joined by Tiffany. Hi, guys. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much. Hi. Thanks. I guess a brief background on how you guys got to be where you are in your careers would be a nice place to start. Um, sure. So I graduated in 2015. I did the dual uh, MBA PhD program in Wake Forest in uh, molecular pathology. Um, I knew when I was in my PhD that I didn't want to take kind of a traditional academic track. Um, and so I started exploring other options um, probably into my second, third, fourth years. Um, during my final year, I actually got connected to a recruiter from Deloitte. Um, and just in talking to her and kind of talking to other people, I realized that consulting was something I was really interested in. Um, so once the recruiter contacted me, just stayed in touch with her, um, got hired around May, right about when I defended, um, and then started in August of 2015 and have been there ever since. Um, since I've been at Deloitte, I started on some nonprofit work, um, working on some strategy with a couple nonprofits. I then did a little bit of work for the NIH, um, and then since about mid-2016, I've been working um, with the DOD um, in military health, so I do um, analytics for a military health account. Great, and this is Heather Alger. I'm the Director of Product Development at American Heart Association. Um, I did my PhD in biochemistry here at Wake Forest. Uh, when I finished up, I moved up to D.C. and started working in uh, public policy at the Pew Charitable Trust and the Food Additives Group. Um, from there, I had an opportunity to uh, move over to the American Heart Association as a science and medicine advisor, and I did that for a few years, which was a really neat opportunity because it gave me a lot of exposure both to the professional members as well as different parts of the uh, d different parts of the organization. Uh, from there, I'm now in the health initiatives branch at AHA, um, and I'm the director of product development. I've been there for about a year and a half now. Very, very cool. Um, so, you, uh, Dr. Uh, Cup, Helen, uh, you mentioned uh, that you were very um, sure that postdoc, a traditional postdoc, wasn't the right call. Um, what part of the lab work put you off from it, or what appealed to you more with the non-traditional route? Sure. So I think um, I found the lab to be, for me, it was a very frustrating environment. And we'll caveat by saying I had the most wonderful advisor and the most wonderful lab mates I possibly could have asked for. Um, but for me, just a lot of repeats of experiments, I think something every grad student goes through, um, sort of the rewards of making a discovery or finding something new just weren't enough to outweigh that frustration. Um, and I just felt 
kind of very stuck. Like I was doing very similar things all the time that didn't always work and they didn't always come out. Um, and I needed something that was a little bit more kind of fast paced and changing and, and doing different things than just being in the lab all day. So that was the main thing. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> Dr. Alger, when did you know that the lab wasn't where you wanted to go with your career? It's a great question. Um, I was probably also around my fourth or fifth year. Um, I, knew, I knew I wanted to finish it, so I, I knew that wasn't an option to stop right there. But then um, it, was, it was a perspective of I worked with some very, very talented um, postdocs, and I saw them struggling to make financial or to, to get grants. And I knew if the ideas that they were having and the talent that they had um, and they were still struggling to get grants, I was uh, concerned that I was setting myself up into a career that I would be um, having even more struggles um, because they at least had a, fun a funding cycle or a funding history, whereas the grants that I had applied for at that point, I really hadn't had much success and they were very small grants. Um, and so I knew if I was going to be going that, that direction longer term, that would be what my future was. And um, while I think there's a lot, a lot of people can do that, I just needed something that was a little bit more stable, so I chose nonprofits, which is kind of a little counterintuitive. Um, but as it turns out, it really is. It's the, the kind of direction that really works for me because it takes the science that I learned and the skills that I learned during grad school and really says, okay, why does this matter to people? Um, and that's very important to me. So what aspects of your PhD do you find to be most valuable to your success in your careers? Um, I think we talked a lot about this today already, but uh, public speaking communication skills are so important. Um, and I think you get a lot of those skills while you're in your PhD, but I don't think they're emphasized enough. And I think while you're doing your PhD, there's a lot more opportunities to improve your public speaking skills, improve your writing skills. Um, you are never going to find a career where being a good writer or being a good communicator is a bad thing. Um, so I would really encourage everyone to just take whatever opportunities you have, and there are a lot here, um, and just really get good at those skills. Um, and then math, statistics, data science are really big. Um, that will really make your resume stand out if you can think in big data statistics, um, makes a huge difference. And again, you have so many opportunities here at Wake Forest to learn that um, and to get good at that. Um, and I would really, I wish I would have taken more advantage of them when I was here. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree more. Um, communication is, is critical no matter what role you're in. Statistics really makes anybody stand out because it is a skill that a lot of people are afraid of and a lot of people don't have. Um, project management um, is also something that we do every day um, in, in our labs and in our, our research um, and really figuring out how you can formalize that. Um, and just, you know, one of the, the key skills that we have or we gather during grad school is the ability to think. We often think that we're only thinking about our specific project, and we're not. Um, those skills are applicable to any field. 
Um, if you're in neuroscience, you could apply a lot of those skills and interests to physics. If you're in cancer biology, a lot of those skills can apply to mathematics. Um, and so anywhere you go, even if you don't have the defined skills of that project or program or what have you, you have the skills to get there. Um, because you have shown that you are, are dedicated and smart enough to get here, um, you can certainly apply those anywhere else. And I think the statistics example is a good one um, where if you can learn one statistics program, it seems that you can pretty much learn them all. Um, that is not my words. That is <laughs> Helen's words. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the same is applicable, um, even f down to accounting if you needed to or any other skill set. Just having, having the curiosity to learn into such a detail will, will take you far. With, with such a different career path than a traditional postdoc and all that, what, what does a strong resume look like? What does it contain? For, for your fields in policy and nonprofits? Um, I think a lot of, you know, we've said this before, the action verbs, like I led something, I managed something, um, putting those things out there. For the non-traditional science paths, you're going to have to put things in very plain language. Um, most recruiters are not going to care that you discovered so-and-so protein did this. <laughs> what they're going to care about is that you managed a project for five years and you had four people that you worked with and you led that work and it resulted in three papers and a grant. So it's just kind of twisting what you've done to make it applicable to more people. Mm. Um, again, with the statistics, math, programming language type skills, I think that right now, um, I can speak for my firm, we hire a lot of people with that background, and it's not always that easy to find. Um, so things like that, I think. Hmm. Um, simple, as easy to follow as possible. Um, you know, write it and then take out 50% of the words is probably <laughs> a good a good measure to go by. Um, yeah. I would agree with that. And I would say, from my perspective, um, communications is certainly the most important or one of the most important um, because if I have a resume that comes to me that says, that has all the important things, the action verbs, the, the quantifications, the, you know, I had this grant and I had three people or reporting up to me. And, um, but there's, there's nothing about I was able to translate that to somebody else or I was able to present this to folks or I was able to write an article or a blog that got some interest. That is, it's just, it's a skill. Um, and it, it's, it's something that would certainly stand out. Um, I think project management is certainly something that would stand out. Um, something that shows that you're not a one-trick pony. And I think we've already talked about, you know, if you're a scientist, you're, you're by definition not an, a one-trick pony. So going through your resume, pulling out the things that show that, um, and shine your, own, shine your own light. Like, it, it might be a little weird and it might be a little scary to say, oh, I'm great at X, Y, and Z, but this is your one opportunity to do it. So do it. <laughs> so let's say I have these action verbs. I have a nice resume put together. What's the most important part of job seeking in your fields? Is it, is it networking? Is it um, recruitment between companies? 
I would say it's probably networking. Um, I, you know, I, I, I really like a lot of the networking sites because it's a nice opportunity to stay in touch with folks, um, or at least to, to kind of have an eye of what they're doing. Um, for networking, it's, it's a little bit of a nuance and it's a little bit of work. Um, and a lot of people don't really know what working actually is. Um, so, you know, Helen and I met today. Helen and I can connect on LinkedIn. If I see at Deloitte that there is this interesting position, I could reach out to Helen and say, Helen, I'm interested in this position. It's, you know, is this in your team? Do you have any insight into um, the work that they're doing? Can we chat about this or something like that? It's, it's very important to be specific in your networking. Um, most of the time, people are happy to just make the connection for you. Um, I've done this a couple of times where somebody's reached out to me and said, hey, I'm interested in this position. Um, do you know who's the hiring manager? If I do, I'll say, sure, let me do a quick email. And it's, it's a simple e-introduction of, you know, person A, introduce you, person B, two quick sentences, person B, introduce you, person A, two quick sentences, and they take it from there. Um, it's, it's not as scary um, as I think a lot of people think it may be. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think networking is so key. Um, I think sort of cold emailing resumes to companies to get a job rarely ever works these days because of the internet. Um, and I also think like be probably bolder than you think you can be in reaching out to people. Like if you see an alum that's doing something really interesting, like don't be afraid to reach out. Like the worst thing they're going to do is ignore you. Um, ask them questions. See if you can set up an informational interview. And, you know, maybe a year down the line, there'll be a position and they'll think, oh, I, I talked to so-and-so a year mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. They may be a good fit. Yeah. Um, so And just keep up those those connections. And, I was actually, so keeping up those connections, what does that, what does that mean? So a, a year from now, if that thing comes up, they might not remember me. So should I, or what if it comes up two years later? Should I, what, what are, what are those continuing little prods of, Hey, remember me? Um, I mean, like? the social networking is definitely good. Um, I mean, LinkedIn is, is a pretty good resource. Like I've had people contact me on LinkedIn quite a bit. I've had recruiters contact me on LinkedIn, um, that given another time and place, I may be interested. Um, they pop up with things like so-and-so moved to this job and you can reach out and say congratulations and just little things like that so that they're like, oh, this person works at Wake Forest. They're about to graduate, things like that. Mm-hmm. Just be active. I mean, it, it is work, but it, it doesn't have to take so much of your time. Like it can be pretty simple things you can mm-hmm. do. It doesn't have to be a structured letter or email. It, it, it can be quick like that, but just just to kind of keep the kind of steady drumbeat um, without being too terribly intrusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. On the topic of informational interviews, what's the most important question to ask to get insight into someone's position? I mean, I think I always like finding out what people's day-to-day looks like. Um, I mean, that's more of a sort of am I interested in this world kind of question, but I think that's always really good to sort of realize what their life is actually like. Um, In reality, most jobs are a lot of meetings, as Heather and I have (laughs) communicated today. So you're probably going to get a pretty similar answer from 
most people, but I think that's a really good question. Um, and then if you're looking for a specific job, I think something we've discussed earlier is like figuring out what would be the right position within that company mm-hmm. to apply for. Cause a lot of times people just don't know when they're applying for too high, too low, um, overqualified, et cetera. So, and I think another question and it's, it's kind of out there, but it's kind of important one is what drives you through the difficult days. Um, and that really, I think, gives you a line of sight into both what some of the challenges are at the job or at the com- company or on the team, but also what the priorities are. So everyone has bad days. Everyone has bad weeks, but everyone keeps going. Um, and what are the things that keep that person going through those tough days or weeks? So I guess follow-up to that would be what are your day-to-days look uh in your in your current positions that's a lot of meetings <laughs> um so as i mean as you transition i think in any company it, it changes um as i've become more of like a manager it's changed from i'm going to a lot of more meetings i'm checking in with my team a lot more um less of a doer and more of a manager um, I think that's that's pretty standard for me. I personally don't travel a lot. Um, I get in pretty early because I work with military clients. Um, so I have forcibly become a morning person. <laughs> um, but I also get to leave a little bit early, so that's nice. Um, so that's pretty much my day-to-day. Fridays I work from home usually, um, relatively flexible. So that's pretty much it. And I work remotely every day, um, so I also have shifted from more of a doer to more of a manager. I've got um, I've got a team of about ten, and um, so my day really is a lot of meetings, is a lot of checking in. We have a lot of cl- cross-functional collaborations across our organization, but then also between different organizations. Um, so we do have a lot of check-ins with those to make sure: okay, are we? Are we tracking to progress? Are we having any challenges that we're going to see? Are we going to hit or miss goals? Um, Those sorts of things. So I do that for the majority of the day. And then um, lots of just kind of catching up on emails and and, um, kind of moving some projects along as needed. So it sounds like you both probably have a very nice balance between life and work, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I would would (laughs) say I do. So you do have to prioritize. Like, it's very easy like if I get in the office at seven, it's very easy to say I'm going to leave at four and get stuck until six. Um, I prioritize having things after work to do. So I'll go run or I'll go work out or I'll like prioritize that in my life so I can say, no, I have to be out by this time. Um, and I make sure I leave. Having said that, that doesn't always happen. Like there's fires you need to put out. There's things you need to deal with at work. Um, but it does have to be like a conscious decision because I think in any job, in any career, um, your work can totally overwhelm your life. Like it's very easy to work up to 70, 80 hours a week. Um, there will always be work to do. Um, so you have to make sure that you kind of draw the line and, and you cut it off where you need to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it does come a lot of times in ebbs and flows. Like there are going to be the weeks where you're working 70 hour weeks or months or whatever. Um, but it will, it will, it has to, um, it has to go back to 40 at some point. Um, if it doesn't, you need to hire more people. You both mentioned that you manage teams. Are your team members primarily other scientists or are you communicating science to other backgrounds in your positions? 
So my team, I'm the only scientist on the team. Um, I've got a great team. Um, they have a lot of different backgrounds. I've got a couple of folks who are um, in publishing. I've got some who have a marketing background. Um, I've got a couple of communications backgrounds. Um, but I'm, I'm the only tried and true scientist on my team. Yeah, same for me. Um, I have a couple people that were kind of biology, chemistry undergrads um, and ended up in consulting, but I'm the only PhD scientist that I, I, I know really that works in my area. Um, we do work with a couple PhD statisticians. Um, most of my team members are uh, business backgrounds, math backgrounds, um, couple communications backgrounds, um, yeah, some biology, engineering, things like that. Um, and it's part of what I really like is sort of the coaching because um, I work with a lot of people that come out of undergrad, um, don't really know what they want to do, just are in consulting for a couple years. Um, and I find that part of my job really re rewarding to kind of help them. And, and figure out where they want to go. We actually just started a science communication organization at Wake, so it's good to hear Great. that that will come in handy. <laughs> Extremely. Yeah, definitely will. Yeah. So, Heather, I noticed on your resume you've done work with the, right now with the American Heart Association, mm -hmm. but you've also worked with the uh, Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, yeah. which I was very, one, surprised to know that that's a thing, mm -hmm. um, and also that they would need a PhD as part of their team. So uh, I'm really interested in, in what that job was like. It's, mm -hmm. it's very different from anything that I, I think I would think of to apply my PhD to. Yeah, it's a great question. I think this kind of brings back some of the things that we've talked about is it's not a traditional track, but it shows that science is important across the board. Um, with liquor industry, we looked at a number of different things um, while I was there. We looked at the dietary guidelines for Americans, um, which is something that impacts everybody. Um, we also looked at uh, some of the marijuana laws um, because it was a big comparison. And prior to um, working there, those were not topics that I spent a lot of time researching, but because I had the skill set that I gained from doing my grad work, doing the work that I had done at Pew Charitable Trusts, it was relatively easy for me to jump in and get at least a good lay of the land. And so I was able to be successful in a relatively short period of time there. You're both in companies where the, the company or nonprofit has a very clear mission. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever find that there's a pressure to make data appear a certain way to go with the mission of the company? And how do you stay unbiased when you have that if you do? Um, so I'm in a little bit of a unique position because I work for Deloitte, um, but I'm actually on projects with DOD. Um, and for me, I really haven't experienced that. And part of why is because why we are hired by the federal government is to partially tell them the truth. Um, and so there really has never been a situation where I've been like pressured to make things look one way or another. Um, if we were ever pressured, we would not be doing our jobs. Um, so fortunately, I've never been in that situation. <laughs> um, that may be different for other people, but I, I think I don't think Deloitte would be as successful as it is in consulting if that were really a, a problem. Yeah, and with American Heart Association, um, we we have the benefit of 
federal data, so the NHANES data from CDC, um, we can't lie because the NHANES data are going to tell us if we are moving the needle on cardiovascular disease and that that really is AHA's mission is we are we actually have a great new mission statement and it's it's that we're a relentless force towards healthier lives um, so that's cardiovascular disease that's stroke that's um, any condition that affects the heart um, and so if if we're moving the needle on the the population we're doing our job and so it's it's a grand grand mission and um, it's a little scary sometimes, but you know we've got a lot of really great programs that are really helping us get there, and, and we have the benefit of having those data to to tell us if we're if we're making a mark, um, and we slowly but surely are making a mark, which is really really exciting. Do you travel a lot? I know um, Helen already told us that she doesn't really, but do you have to travel a lot for that? I get to travel a lot. Yeah, okay. I, I do work remote. So um, if I want to kind of have meetings with my team, I get to travel. But I also, um, because we do have a lot of cross collaboration with different organizations and different companies, um, we get to do a lot of travels to to meet with them. And, you know, again, have those face to face. Are we are we making the mark? Are we missing the mark? Um, what are some of the things that we could be doing a little bit better? Or kind of what do we want to do in the next three to five years? So you're more associated with sort of the strategy of the American Heart Association, would you say, rather than, I know a lot of people from your organization go out and just talk to people, give presentations about the status of the American Heart Association. Are you more behind the scenes just working with your team, or do you do some of that too? So I do a little bit of that, um, but we actually have some kind of strategy folks um, in our department. Um, I think what you're talking about is, do, we, do I have to go out and do any of the fundraising? Yeah. Um, and luckily, I am not um, in a fundraising position. I could do it, but I think there are a lot of people in our organization that are much better equipped with that skill set than I've got. Um, I can talk to the programs, and I can talk to some of the kind of design and, and um some of the pieces that we can build. Um, but as far as having to do the fundraising, I, I, I leave that to the people who are really those experts. Now that you guys are in the real world, um, what would you have liked to know in grad school? Oh, I have a good one. Um, I think that there are a lot more opportunities for PhDs and master's students out of scientific backgrounds than we think. Um, I really came into grad school and thought there were two tracks, academia or pharmacy and biotech. That's not true at all. There's a lot of opportunities, um, even sort of really random things that you would never think hire scientists. You know, firms on Wall Street hire scientists, like accounting firms hire scientists. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, and it took me a really long time to realize that, and I didn't fully realize that until I had graduated and left. So I guess we could uh, we can end on a happy note. Um, what's what's the thing that you love most about your job? Um, I think the people. Um, I think it's so important. Like you could be doing the most amazing thing in the world, but if you work with horrible people, it makes it horrible, um, and vice versa. Um, I work with incredible people every day, and you know, even when we have a bad day, those are the things that sort of get me through and, and make me come back the next day. So that's my favorite thing, I think. 
And on top of the awesome team of people that I've got, um, I really do, our mission hits home for me. Um, My family's got cardiovascular issues in in our background. And, and, you know, I'm always going to be somebody who is going to um, push for a healthier life. So to work for an organization where that is the mission um, really aligns with with me and it, it it does help through some of the tougher days where it's like gosh I've got this mountain of work I got to get through and how am I going to even get started on it um but it's it's a sense of knowing that what I do today will make an impact it may not be tomorrow it may not be next week but it will make an impact even if it's just one person all right I know we were going to end there but I gotta ask um does being so connected to your mission make it difficult to keep down your hours and maintain a work-life balance it does make it a little more challenging um it's one of those things and i I think this is actually probably true in almost any any place the the work is always going to be there um i think if you aren't as connected to it it's a little easier to walk away um whereas i think there are probably some days where i could work 15 hours and be just as content as could be um, last weekend, and I think on Sunday, my husband was watching football, and I spent about six hours working on a project, and I didn't even know six hours had passed. Um, and I, I was so pleased with the result because it was one of those things where it was like, okay, you know, the hours are long, and it was a weekend, but in the end, it was one of those things where it was like, I'm, I'm happy with this. I guess if work-life balance is going to sort of get out of balance in almost any career it's really good to have a career that you like to do that with (laughs) absolutely absolutely dr alger dr cuff uh thank you again for your time it's been really informative uh this is one of those uh, non-traditional routes uh that i think really appeals to a lot of people uh, policy and and direct impact and 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 things like that with general life so thank you so much to our listeners if you would like to uh, connect with us we have a Twitter at 5 to Life Pod. We have an email, 5 to Life Pod at gmail.com. We also have a website, 5 to Life Pod.com. And that's all with the number five. We also have a phone number, 336 701 2445, where you can call and leave a comment, a question. Uh, we might play it on the air. Uh, just give it a call. Here's 5 to Life. Cheers. Cheers.